It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Wizards, your daily Washington Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, guys? It is your boy, Delonte Daniels and Ed Oliver, back at you guys with another Locked On Wizards podcast episode. And returning, we have our special guest, Chase Hughes, NBC Sports Washington and Wizards reporter. How are you doing today, Chase? I'm doing good, man. Still trying to process that loss of the Clippers, uh, but it's good timing to be on the show. Uh, I'm always happy to come on, but uh, it's particularly good timing right now. Yeah, it's, it's a lot going on in Wizards Nation. You guys already know how we do it. We got some questions for our guy Chase right here. So, Ed, let's get right into it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely embarrassing. I felt like we hit rock bottom. But uh, what was your takeaways from the Clippers' historical loss? And also, how did you feel about the last two-minute report that came out about Bradley Bill uh, fouled Kennard before he took the three-pointer? Well, rock bottom, I think, was a phrase we were all throwing around uh, among the media right after the game uh, because you thought it was a low point, uh, the loss before, two days before that, when they lost the Celtics by 29 points. That was their worst loss of the season so far. And Bradley Beal called that embarrassing. And then they go out and top it with a loss to the Clippers uh, that was, uh, of course, you mentioned it, they were up by 35 points. They give up 80 points in the second half. Uh, the four-point play to Luke Kennard, the five-second violation by um, Kyle Kuzma, that was embarrassing uh, in every definition of the word. Like, losing a, the Celtics is one thing. You know, that was a tough game. But the way they lost, I mean, I've watched this team for a long time. Uh, immediately, I was comparing it to the Michael Ruffin, uh, Mo Peterson game from 2007 when, um, you know, Wizards fans who were watching the team back then remember – Wizards thought they won the game. Michael Ruffin threw the ball up in the air, uh, thinking he was going to run out the clock. Mo Peterson, formerly of Michigan State, caught it, um, basically shot it from half court, uh, tied it, and they went to overtime, and, and the, the Raptors won. And uh, Steve Buckhans had a famous call, not possible uh, in that game. And this kind of reminded me of that. And um, you know, Wes Unsell Jr. probably reminded him of that too. He was an assistant back then with the Wizards in 2007. So – uh, and Tommy Shepard was an executive uh, with the team. So unfortunately, some parallels for them. Um, but the last two minute report, um, you know, certainly uh, it gave the Wizards a, a little bit of, uh, you know, I guess in a sense, they could feel a little bit better about it just because they knew that they they should have had different calls. But uh, I agree with Wes Sell Jr. What he said today, like it doesn't really matter. They put themselves in that position. So they only have themselves to blame. Right, yeah, I, I can't feel any better because I think it was a loss. E even if we won the game, it felt terrible just letting them come back from 35 points. So honestly, uh, the last two-minute report, it, it just it doesn't really matter too much. Yeah, definitely. And just the, the feeling around the team and in that building after that game, how would you describe it? Like how, how are the players feeling, how are the coaches, the you know executives? What, what's the feeling going around that building? Well, first of all, I thought Kyle Kuzma's post-game press conference was really interesting because we caught him right after the loss, and he was super honest, you know, saying, like, something's got to change. It's comical at this point. And he was referring to the fact that they started 10-3, and now they're 13-22 and since then, and they basically keep trying the same things and expecting a different result. And he was very honest about how he thought that, uh, you know, the team needs to figure out their roles. They need to figure out what they're doing with their rotation. Um, you know, he acted like it was pretty ridiculous that they're 40, 50 games into a season and they still don't know their role, their roles. And obviously that has a lot to do with Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant coming back uh, recently. They've got this weird situation kind of. It's unusual where, you know, you're midseason and you've got these two guys who were starters last year who were on minutes restrictions because they were out so long. But they also have kind of like minutes requirements. We got to play them a certain amount so that they can get up to speed. 
So first of all, Kyle Kuzma's post-game press conference, uh, I thought was, um, you know, just really enlightening just with how uh, honest he was. Definitely a strange vibe at the facility today. You know, they had the day off yesterday. Um, today, they sat down as a team and watched the second half together uh, in its entirety. And they went through, you know, all the things that they did wrong. And, you know, there are just some unusual things that I noticed at the facility today. Um, you know, Wes Unsell Jr., we had to wait for him a long time before he talked to us. So that was not that doesn't happen very often. And it was because he was having long conversations with different players on the team. Uh, and Bradley Beal, they went upstairs, I uh, believe, to probably Wes Unsell Jr.'s office. I didn't see where they went, but they talked it out for a long time uh, before Wes Unsell Jr. came to talk to us. So, um, you know, what they talked about, I don't know. All I can say is that that doesn't happen very often when we're there at practice. Yeah, and I mean, I can only believe that it was a wake-up call. I mean, that's things like that just don't happen. I said I compared it to 2K. I said it's hard to lose a 35-point lead on NBA 2K. So <laughs> I don't know how you do it in the actual NBA. I'm not surprised that, you know, Wes had them watch that whole second half. You got to do some things that's out of the ordinary when stuff like that happens. You know, you got to switch it up. You got to really try to do your best to wake guys up. And speaking of Wes Unsell, Junior Ed, I know we got a question talking about Wes. Yeah, how, how would you evaluate Wes Unsell Jr.'s performance so far? I know he's a rookie head coach. Um, and then there's also um, rumors of Quinn Mayo. He said he got a text from a player saying that, um, that it feels like the inmates are running the asylum. Do you feel like he's kind of lost the locker room? How would, how would you evaluate Wes's uh, start? through the midseason? Well, you know, Wes Unsell Jr. I think is going to be a, a really good coach in this league. I think he's got everything that it takes to be a good coach. Uh, he's super smart. Um, he's got a great resume. He's got a lot of experience. I think he commands respect from the players. Um, but I think this is a reminder that it is a bit of a risk to hire a first-year head coach and expect it to work right away. You know, I did a story before the season just kind of looking at how first-time head coaches did. And, um you know, not all of them hit the ground running. Most of them don't. Uh, not everyone, you know, falls into a situation like Steve Nash did. Not everyone, you know, immediately comes in and knows exactly what they're doing. So I think um, they were going to have to take their lumps to a certain degree with Wes Unsell Jr. And, you know, I thought, I think for the most part, he's done a good job this year. Uh, but obviously, you look at the defense in particular, that's what he kind of hangs his hat on. And it hasn't been what the Wizards hoped it would be or thought it would be. And what's really interesting is they enter the trade deadline is that like offensively, they have an opportunity to get better over time. I think like Bradley Beal, if he goes back to being the guy we saw in recent years, that's going to help. Uh, Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryant, they came back recently. Those guys are good offensive players. There's a lot of guys who haven't shot to their career norms, but defensively, they're going to have to figure it out with the players that have been there the whole time. Right. And Wes Unsell Jr. has been the coach. The whole time, obviously, he missed a few games in health and safety protocols. But, like, this group was supposed to be better. And, obviously, I think Wes Unsell Jr. would tell you that that's partly on him. So, um, I think he'll be fine in the long run. But um, that's one of the things that's kind of come to the forefront for me recently. That and, like, for instance, like Spencer Dinwiddie coming off a torn ACL. Like, you know, if, the, if this was a year that the Wizards really wanted to go – you know, into the playoffs and go on a deep playoff run. Um, you know, they, they took a few risks that I think we've seen both the positives and the negatives of so far this season. Yeah, definitely. It felt like he, I felt like he got out coached by Tyron Lue. You know, you look at Tyron Lue, he sat Reggie Jackson, he sat Eric Bledsoe, and I thought he stuck with Spencer Dinwiddie too long. And uh, I felt like he didn't give Gafford enough minutes. So I just, I kind of feel like the rotations have been off. I know a lot of it's not really his fault. You know, I don't know if you feel like they, they're trying to, you know, showcase guys as well in the minute restrictions. So um, it, it definitely has been a, rock, a rocky start for West Unsell Jr. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, to add on to Ed's question, Daniel Gafford, that's just been just so interesting to me. I, I don't understand it, these 11-minute, 12-minute games. I, I know that you got to get Montrez in and Thomas Bryant, but – Daniel Gafford will start a game off strong and then he won't see the court for who knows how long. I just do not understand it. I mean, have you heard anything about that, Chase? Or what is your personal feelings about Daniel Gafford and his just drastic drop off of minutes on the court? 
Well, that game against the Clippers told me that it's not Daniel Gafford's fault. I don't think there's anything he can do to earn more minutes at this point. Um, the Wizards aren't really being transparent with what's going on, I think. Uh, you know, unless uh, we got to take them at their word that it's just a matter of getting Thomas Bryant out there. And, you know, um, obviously, Wes Hunsell Jr. is not the only guy who's made this decision. Joe Blair was coaching and said that um, in one of those games, I think it was against the Celtics, that he, he just wanted more energy off the uh, at that position so we went with Montrez Harrell but on Tuesday Daniel Gafford had 12 points in 12 minutes like he was uh really really good and the Wizards built their lead with him on the floor and yet he only played six minutes to start the game and six minutes to start the second half and he was gone and you know what's really interesting is the starting lineup uh for this year as a whole obviously has not been great you know we've talked about how Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal haven't been the best fit overall but since they got their players back, uh, since Bradley Beal returned from health and safety protocols uh, five games ago, their starting lineups like uh, I, th- I want to say it's a plus eleven in net rating, um, and one of their other best lineups involves Daniel Gafford. Um, so I-, I don't really know what's going on there because Daniel Gafford, even when he's playing well, they're taking him out. Like it was one thing when you played the Brooklyn Nets and he was out there, and yeah, he had eight points in twelve minutes, but you know Lamarcus Aldridge was cooking him in the the pick Mm -hmm. and roll like we didn't see any of that on Tuesday against the Clippers so it's a mystery and you know I I, we talked to Daniel Gafford recently he admitted he was frustrated by it and you kind of feel bad for the guy at this point because like I I don't know if it's performance based at all I think it's something that either the coaching staff is trying to do or maybe the front office you know in 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 concert with the coaching staff is trying to do like you mentioned showcasing players you know Wes Unsell Jr said on the junkies this morning that's not what he's doing but um certainly there's something going on that we're not seeing yeah and actually i I, i'm adding some questions in here because you're you're speaking are making me think of some new things to talk about the defense and the defensive drop-off because when they were 10 and 3 and i know a lot of opponents were missing open shots but still they were defending at a decent rate i don't i just can't fathom going from top five to top 10 to just straight nose diving towards almost the bottom ish of the league. It feels like, uh, do you feel like the rotations, the players have talked about rotations and different kinds of roles. Do you feel like them not liking their, the offense that they are in or their roles in the offense? Do you feel like that is impacting their defense and how they bring the effort defensively? I think so. You know, my colleague Chris Miller just did a, a long sit down interview with Bradley Beal and we posted some of the clips um, in an article I wrote. But there was some other stuff that Brad said in there about the defense and what he thinks is wrong with it. And he think it, thinks it's guys who uh, aren't really, uh, you know, they're focusing too much on offense and their roles on offense and whether they're getting shots and stuff like that. And it's affecting them on defense. And it's kind of something we've heard uh, from Wizards players in the past, you know, before mm-hmm. Wes Unsell Jr. got here. Um, if you look at their defense, you know, they remain pretty good at defending threes, right? At least in terms of volume, the percentage has gone up that they've allowed, um, but they're terrible at defending in the paint and, mm-hmm. and they're just not good at stopping the ball. Uh, they let guys get past them. And I think part of it is they sell out to try to stop threes, just three point attempts in general. I think they try to play the analytics game like that, but they're not doing a good job of helping each other. Once the guy gets past the three point line. So they kind of want the, the opponents to dribble into the mid range and then shoot uh, contested mid range shots. But those, their opponents are getting into the lane and scoring just far too easily. So um, it's been an interesting disconnect because like, if you just look at it, at it on paper, they've got a good three point defense, right? They've got a rim protector on the back end and Daniel Gafford, but like something's missing in between. And um, you wonder if they need to stop like overloading on the three point line and just make sure that they're all, playing together and trying to stop the ball, uh, not necessarily at the expense of threes and allowing people to get downhill. Yeah, it's, I mean, the interior defense, it's been an issue for a while. In my opinion, you look at the games they're allowing, they they always allow, it seems like 45% from the field or sometimes 50% from the field when it's really bad. It's been a consistent thing. And especially when you don't have Daniel Gafford in, not saying that Daniel Gafford's the best defender in regards to pick and roll, et cetera, but he helps. And with his minutes dropping, 
I mean, I, I don't, I continue to not understand it, but we do have more questions, but we do have to get to a message from our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED ON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And Ed, you can go ahead and take the next question. I'm glad Chase brought up that one-on-one interview with Chris Miller and Bradley Bill because we were going to get to that. Ed, take it away. Yeah, how did you interpret Brad's quote saying that expiring deals and the trade deadline is affecting the team and creating different agendas? Yeah, so if that was uh, that was how I wrote the tweet. His quote uh, mentioned guys playing for contracts, uh, mentioned guys trying to survive in the league. Um, he mentioned guys tra- uh, playing because they don't want to be traded. So um, that was kind of my interpretation that he was talking about the trade deadline, the timing of it. And also, guys, you know, playing for contracts, uh, there's a lot more players on expiring deals than there are guys who are playing for contract extensions, you know, like a Rui Hachimura. So that's why I said um, expiring contracts. Um, You know, it's interesting. I saw some Wizards fans point out, um, and correctly, I thought the same thing, that like we've heard this about the Wizards in the past. Like Mm -hmm. John Walls talked about it. Maybe Bradley Beal has even talked about it in the past. Um, And it's kind of like a, I don't know if there's a, a right answer to it. I feel like sometimes you think that players play better when they are motivated by their contract futures uh, rather than someone who just got an extension. Um, you know, you want players who are hungry like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was a the end of that quote from Bradley Bill. I thought that was interesting. He basically said, like, you know, once we kind of establish our roster with players who are, you know, kind of about the right things and wanting to win, then we'll be okay. Um, So I think he's looking for them to make some adjustments at the trade deadline in that regard and maybe affect team chemistry. And obviously, you know, we could speculate on who he's talking about. Uh, There's a bunch of guys on expiring deals, everyone from Montrez Harrell and Thomas Bryant to Aaron Holiday and Howell Neto. I don't know if he's talking about Anthony Gill or or Aaron (laughs) Holiday. Those guys haven't been playing. Um, Howell Neto was on uh, an expiring deal last year and, and, you know, Bradley Beal loved playing with him. So I, I don't think it's about Howell Neto. Um, you know, Rui Hachimura certainly and, and Montrez Harrell certainly. Um, Thomas Bryant to agree. Those guys are, are offensive minded players. You know, maybe Bradley Beal looks at them like they're looking for their own shot rather than moving the ball. Or maybe, you know, the, the, none of those three guys are really defensive stoppers. So um, it, it was interesting. I would just say my interpretation uh, was that Bradley Beal sees that there's a chemistry problem with this team in part because guys are thinking about their contracts rather than the team. And the timing of all of what he said, I think, was probably just kind of a, a, a bit of a message to the front office, whether intentional or indirectly, like, hey, some some changes need to be made to this team uh, be, while the, while there's still time to do so. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up some guys play better. I mean, of course, you know, Wizards legend Jan Mahimi would do that all the time when it was a contract year. He would, he would start <laughs> to play better. Um, but yeah, you can you can look at it many ways. You know, you saw the I saw a lot of replies on your tweet and quote tweets. They're you know they're saying that Bradley Bill is a guy that has an expiring deal too, so he could be a part of the agenda as well. So he's not he's not innocent either. You know, he's supposed to be the leader on the team. So. That was ironic because right. you're absolutely right. Like he it didn't seem like he was talking about himself, but he might but he very well could have been if he wanted to, right? Right. 
And yeah, it's it's just a rough time. So it could look at you know maybe he's pointing the finger and directing blame at other people. So there's many ways you could take it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know he's got to be our leader. We just cannot see another collapse like that ever again. And yeah, some changes do need to be made. So he is correct if he's in, if he's saying it in that way. Yeah. And this next question, Chase, it's a hot topic in the Wizards community. In your personal opinion, because I know the Wizards. They, they're never going to sell. I don't, I don't believe they'll ever really truly want to rebuild. In your personal opinion, do you think it's best for the Wizards to take some calls and look to move on from Bradley Bill in the Bradley Bill era and be sellers? And if so, what do you think Bradley Bill's trade value could be? Well, I think everything's got to be considered, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking about a player as good as him, and the money that you're trying to offer him and just the prospect of losing him for nothing, um, it'd be wise to consider all your options. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think they should trade him. I don't believe that they should. I think he's a really good player. I don't think this year is indicative of the player that he is. I think the Mm -hmm. last few years is more like the player that he is, and maybe he's just having a down year or a down you know, two-thirds of a year. It's not over with. He could still turn it around. He's playing great before he went back into health and safety protocols. Mm-hmm. I've been saying for a while that the, the best thing to do would be to to try to be more aggressive to put something around him, meaning like, you know, not just mid-level contracts and veteran players like somebody or something more substantial than that. Like, try mm-hmm. that first. Now, obviously, it seems like they're running out of time because you've got just a few weeks to the deadline and then it could carry into the summer and he could very well leave and leave you with nothing. It's not even like... uh you know, the NFL or major league baseball, where you get a compensation pick, like you get Mm -hmm. nothing, you know, unless it's like a sign and trade, uh, which are a little bit more common now, but um, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't exactly rely on that. And you're not going to get something that you would, you're not going to get the equivalent of what you would have gotten if you traded them a year or two ago. Um, So I think the wizards need to try to add something more substantial next to Beal, like another star or two, you know, down the road, if you can get a second one down the road, that's how you really contend for a title. Now, how they get that, um, I'm not sure. It doesn't look like right now like the perfect player is out there and available mm-hmm. to get before the deadline. But I would try to build around him if you think you can re-sign him or if you're going to re-sign him. But if you don't think you're going to re-sign him, uh, then you got to consider trading him, right? I mean, mm-hmm. why, why wouldn't you? You can't just yeah. let him go. And, you know, if they if they arrived at that point, let's just play that hypothetical. If they arrived at that point, and we're like, all right, we're not going to be able to, to sign Bradley Beal. We got to get something for him. I think the obvious call to make is to Philly and see, you know, Ben Simmons. If you can get maybe Ben Simmons, like, and Matisse Thibel for Bradley Beal, that would be probably the best offer you could get. I don't know how many, you know, first round picks they're going to get at this point. They probably still get plenty, uh, given how good of a player he is. Um, but if you're trading him to a contender, you know, how valuable are those first round picks going to be? I think the best thing to do would be to try to get someone who can help you now and is maybe younger who presents some upside like a Ben Simmons, or, you know, maybe you could find another player on another team that would uh, give you a similar, similar ceiling. Yeah. And I think I'm not sure I've ever seen the fan base be almost as split. I mean, obviously after the meltdown against the Clippers, it was very, emotional and everybody was just blow it up blow it up blow it up at that point but I I don't think I've ever seen the Wizards fan base this split on what to do with Brad you know in the past it was hashtag free Bill and Bill deserves better and Bill the Wizards if they're not going to build anything around them for his sake you know let them go win somewhere and now it's more it feels like the fans are, are just at this point I feel like a lot of them are feeling defeated especially with that Clippers game and the emotions are high right now. So I, if you keep him, if you sign him, if he says he wants to come back, the Wizards are going to do it. They're going to re-sign him. You got to, like you said, you got to get aggressive. You got to get aggressive and you have to build something around him. You have to try. And Bradley Bill's surrounding team, since they did this, we've been in this Bradley Bill era, it hasn't been the best. You Anybody has to admit that his surrounding team has never truly really been like really good. So it's possible that the Wizards may get aggressive and hopefully they can build something around them. But 
we do have a question about Spencer Dinwiddie and Brad. We, it was coming. It was definitely coming in that chemistry fit. Ed, let's get into that. Yeah, how would you grade uh, Bradley Bill and Spencer Dinwiddie's chemistry and their fit so far? Um, do you see any trade value in Spencer Dinwiddie? There have been some rumors floating around um, that he is that they are that he's available. Um, just want to know if you could clarify if that's true or not. But uh, and how would you grade Spencer Dinwiddie's performance so far this year too? Well, uh, first of all, going back to Delante's point, um, you know about Bradley Beal and the, the fan base. I think uh, that reaction is an example of this year with the the supporting cast the Wizards put around him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was setting up to be a year where it was like Bradley Beal is either going to get a lot of credit or a lot of blame. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, you've got all these players who kind of fill in the gaps around your game, like shot makers, guys who can spread the floor, guys who can defend. You got a rim protector. You got you know, we thought you had a point guard rotation that could defend like, all right, Bradley Beal, you're the best player on this team. Um, you know, you figured they were going to be in a lot of close games and he would be the separator between wins and losses. And that just hasn't happened yet. So, um, you know, I'm not surprised that that's been the reaction just with the way they've played and the way he's played. Um, I think with uh, with great power comes great responsibility in the NBA. And when you are the top guy on a team and you get in close games, you know, that's kind of what Bradley Beal's wanted. Well, you know, you got to perform in those moments or else uh, the negative reaction will fall. It's just the way it goes. And I think, um, you know, if he plays better, he'll see the other side of that, which is a mm-hmm. lot, a lot, a lot of praise and getting a lot of credit. Um, obviously, his fit with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie so far has not been great. I, th- I think the Wizards, you know, judging by what Tommy Shepard told The Athletic recently, um, you know, they're not freaking out about it at this point. They know that Dinwiddie's coming off the ACL injury and, you know, they're only about half a season into it. Um, so if Bradley Beal sticks around, uh, they'll have more time to kind of figure it out. But certainly right now, it doesn't look like they're perfectly compatible because um, Dinwiddie's at at his best when he kind of can can take a lot of shots and get to the rim and kind of massage the game and get to the free throw line. Um, he's not really, a, you know, a pass first, uh, run the offense, traditional type point guard. The Wizards think he can become one and be better at that moving forward. But, you know, it's been an adjustment for him. Uh, so Spencer Dinwiddie, um, I, I think his entire career, you know, he's never been a great shooter. He's at his best when he gets to the rim. And this year he's shooting even worse than he usually does. Like he's been like a Russell Westbrook type shooter for, throughout his career. And, you know, last I checked, he's shooting under 40% from the field and, you know, the low 30s from the three-point line. So when you couple that with Bradley Beal, who's not the shooter percentage-wise that he was early in the season – and you've got two guys who are shooting relatively inefficiently in your backcourt, that's just not a, a recipe to, to win a lot of games or to have an efficient backcourt, especially in this day and age, right? You compare it to like the Bulls. Look at what they have with Lonzo Ball and, and Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. Those guys are like, um, at least this season, shooting as well as like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. They're both like above 40% shooting like seven or more attempts a game. Like the percentage and the volume is there and that's incredibly difficult to deal with the wizards at this point are kind of like the opposite they've got two guards in their backcourt who aren't shooting great at least from three obviously bradley beal's field goal percentage has gone up um so dinwiddie has has had uh has not had a great year let's be honest he was good to start the season i was really surprised with how well he started given the injury that he had uh, and coming to a new team but now he's taking his lumps and you know you're seeing uh, again going back to the risk that the wizards took by signing a guy who came off a, a torn ACL. I think I'm confident in him moving forward. I, I've always liked his game, but it's going to take some time. And I think he's got to get better defensively stopping the ball because that's when he was at his best at Brooklyn. He was getting to the rim and he was playing good defense on the other end. Um, as far as him being available, I think given how uh, he's played, the Wizards would definitely listen to offers. I don't think they're um, exactly shopping him, but he's one of those mid-level contracts where I think there's just kind of like a pool of players that, you know, um, Montrez Harrell's in, Davis Bertans is in, you know, I think Thomas Bryant to a certain extent, you know, he's 24, so they might want to hold on to him because of his, his upside, but there's just a bunch of guys that are kind of making between like eight, nine and like 16, 17 million. And that's really what the wizards have to trade if they want to get something right. That, or some of their young players, the, the Ruiz, the Denny's, uh, those types guys, because they don't have really draft picks to trade because of uh, all the protections with the the Rockets deal that is now owned by the Thunder. And they've traded all their second round picks too. So they don't 
like they haven't traded away all their first round picks, but a lot of them are tied up in that deal. So basically, if you're going to trade players, it's got to be your young guys and or your mid-level contracts. And yes, Spencer Dinwiddie is in that group. So I think mm-hmm. by that definition, they they would trade him if the right offer came along. Definitely. It's just it's just interesting because, you know, we bring up the knee injury, but um, he looks 100% healthy when Bradley Bill's not playing. And then when Bradley Bill plays, <laughs> yeah. it looks like Spencer can barely move or like he barely wants to move out there. So it, it's just a weird fit. It hasn't worked out as far as trades. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, to talk about like who, you know, who they want to trade to upgrade to get a guy. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just in a tough place with, with the draft picks as well. Yeah, definitely. It's the fit has been weird to say the least at the moment. It just hasn't looked good. And I'm sure that's not what the Wizards want to see. And they are holding out hope that it turns around because Spencer Dinwiddie was that like that was your main free agent signing. You know, you did a lot of maneuvering to make it happen. Brad and Spence thought it could work out. And so far, we just have not seen that. So it's definitely something because Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Bill, Davies Bertans, those are your top three right there, paid guys, highest paid guys. And Davies Bertans is collecting DNPs. And Spencer Dinwiddie is looking rough and not looking at his best with your face of the franchise. That's not what you want to see. So Tommy Shepard definitely has some worries. And he better hope that Spencer can flip it around, that knee gets a little better, that fit gets a little better, because it's looking odd right now. It's looking rough, I will say. But before we get into some more questions, Ed, we do have a message from our friends over at Bill Bar. This episode is brought to you today by Bill Bar. My favorite flavor is cookies and cream. Bill Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bill Bar makes it easier to stick to your New Year's resolution because it tastes really good. You want to eat it. You want to eat healthy, but ju- but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Bill Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Bill Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. There's so many flavors to choose from. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and many more. In fact, Built Bar is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out Built.com often to see what's new. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, Chase. I got a question for you about the Wizards and their playoff slash play-in possibilities. Is this Eastern Conference is really tough. And when you look at the Wizards' record, I believe they are 23 and 25, only two games below 500. And in the past, you're like, oh, they, you know, they're looking pretty good right now. Like they're probably eighth seed, seventh seed. They're the Tim seed. And I know Bradley Bill said that the play-in would be, you know, pretty much a step back. Right now, you have the Hawks who are below you. They're on a five-game winning streak. You got the Knicks right behind you as well. It's a possibility if they don't turn it around that they may not even make the play-in game. In your personal opinion, do you think they'll make the playoffs or the play-in? Um, playoffs uh, are going to be difficult at this point. Um, even though there's plenty of season left, uh, it's just the Eastern Conference is a lot deeper than it was last year, and that mm-hmm. probably than it's been in a long time, right? And Atlanta, we know they're super talented. They can get on a, a crazy tear. 
and they're right behind the Wizards. Um, you know, Charlotte's in the mix. Uh, you know, it's it's just a, a Boston's in the mix. We saw what they did to the Wizards uh, the other night. It's um it's going to be really tough, I think, to get that six seed. Um, you know, barring some major trade at the deadline where they bring in somebody or some collection of players that just like completely flips a switch and turns them around like they did they did last year, but. You know, that was just to make the playoffs last year when they went 17 and six. And I don't think you could count on them doing that again. So I would say they make the play in tournament. I don't think they're going to fall out of it entirely. I think they're going to play a little bit better down the stretch of the season. You know, they're going to have some some parts of their schedule that they can take advantage of uh, coming up. These next six games are against teams with top 10 records. That's not going to be the easiest stretch of their their remaining schedule. But after that, things will open up a little bit. And I think. um yeah, you have to have a little bit of trust in the front office, what they've done the last two trade deadlines. The Daniel Gafford trade last year was tremendous. We all know that. Mm-hmm. But even, you know, the year before getting Shabazz Napier, that uh, turned their defense to like league average over the, the final quarter of the season or so. So I think they'll make some tweaks and improve the defense. Um, but to get into the playoff picture, like top six, um, I don't think that's going to happen at this point. Just because, the you know, the Eastern Conference is really deep. Just to make the playoffs, you're probably going to have to be a 500 team. Uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to be in the top eight. And last year, the Wizards were under 500 and they were the eight seed. Um, to get six seed, it seems like that's a, a pretty big jump from where they are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the East, I, I mean, we all knew the East was had some good teams and they were going to be improved. But this is the deepest I've seen in, in a while. And I think the Wizards 10 and three start it helped them a lot because they're only two games below 500. And if you don't watch that many Wizards games and you look at their starts to this point from the years previous, you think, oh, they're doing pretty good. But since that 10 and three start, it's been a struggle, you know? So that definitely gave them a nice cushion to help them stay record-wise competitive because they got to turn it around. The Hawks are, they're streaking right now. They're hot. They can come take that spot. The Knicks, they can come take that spot. You never know what any of these teams are going to do at the deadline either, as well, along with you. So I, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully the Wizards can get hot, get a streak in a little bit, and get them some cushion. Get them some cushion, I would say. But, Ed, we have another question and one more after that. So let's get to it, Ed. Yeah, do you see um, Bradley Bill making the All-Star game? Another votes just came out, and um... – do you think he's a number one option on a contending team? Um, all-star team. Um, I still think you'll get in. Yeah. Uh, because you know, there's reserves that are picked by coaches. There's also usually like a couple replacements each year, you know, for injury and other reasons. Um, COVID might, you know, play a role this year. We saw, uh, or, you know, we've seen this year it, it, knock a lot of guys out of games. Bradley Beal has been on in health and safety protocols twice. So I just think you add it all up. There's going to be enough spots to go around that, that he'll get in. Um, and we saw him not too long ago, go on a tear, uh, you know, maybe not being an all-star starter or even getting close. will kind of light a fire under him and maybe he'll get back to being that guy. Cause he was really good for like a 10 game stretch or something, maybe even longer. Um, can he be the number one on, on a contending team? Um, I, I wouldn't rule it out entirely. I mean, I think you'd have to have someone as a number two, who's really close to being as good as him. You know, you might need two guys like that for them to be Mm -hmm. a contender. Um, but certainly, um, you know, in a traditional sense, like a, you know, like a Giannis or LeBron type number one, where it's, it's him. And then it kind of doesn't matter who's else around him. I don't think he's that type of player, of course, but, um, I, th- I don't know. They, they would obviously have to have a much better supporting cast than they do right now. But maybe if it was like Bradley Beal and two other all-stars who are just, you know, not quite all NBA like he was last year, then maybe they could be a contender. Um, winning a title, you know, I don't know about that. Obviously, you know, to win a title, who's like the worst guy in the last 10, 20 years to be the best player on a title team? You know, I mean, I guess like Chauncey Billups and, you know, with the Pistons in 04 was – was the best player. I don't know who you would say was their best player, but that's just like so rare. Usually you need like an all-time great. Like yep. Dirk Nowitzki LeBron, was kind of an yeah. aberration and he's an all-time great. Yeah, you mm-hmm. need like a LeBron or a Steph AD, Curry or like a Giannis mm-hmm. last year. So that's a t- best player on a title team to me 
is like a more exclusive club than mm-hmm. MVP because there's a lot of MVPs who, who can't be the best player on a title team. Yep. James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Uh, there's mm-hmm. plenty of guys like that. Um, but the best player on a title team, that's really, really difficult to do. But I think he'd be the best player on a contending team, meaning like, you know, say get to the conference finals or something. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he's a number two, which is not a knock on him. You know, like you said, Kyrie Irving, James Harden is a number two. Uh, looks like it's looking like Anthony Davis is starting to look like a number two as well. So he, he's not in a bad company, but it is, it does look hard to build around him, you know, thinking that he's your best option on the team. Um, so it, it's just yet to be seen uh, as far as all-star, the all-star team. Um, the fact that he didn't even get votes, you see Andrew Wiggins get votes as a starter. So it, it, it's interesting, but um, yeah, it, 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 we'll see if, if he makes the all-star game. I, I think this, He's having career low numbers from the three point line and turnover. So it's going to be tough. I won't be surprised if he does not make the All Star game. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, you got guys like Lamelo, Darius Garland. It's tough competition out there. Uh, but Ed, we just talked about the Wizards and the Tim Seed. They had an eight game homestand and it didn't go according to plan. These next six games, Chase. How do you think they fare? Memphis, Milwaukee, 76ers, Phoenix, Miami, and Brooklyn. It doesn't get easier. How do you think they fare? I mean, looking at that schedule and the way they played lately, losing four or five, like I think if you go two and four, you feel pretty good about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's brutal. I mean, this is probably the toughest part of the schedule that they're going to have to go through all season. I mean, six teams like that. Um, I said it earlier, they all rank in the top 10 in the NBA in terms of records. The worst team is Philly. You know, I mean, the Wizards just beat Philly recently, but Philly's still a really good team and they've been playing really hot. And Joel Embiid, you know, I don't know if you're going to fool them twice. That's going to be really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. They beat Memphis earlier this year. Um, can they beat them twice? Obviously, Memphis has gotten a lot better, better. since the last mm-hmm. time the Wizards played them. And the Wizards were playing good defense back then. You know, they helped stop uh, or they stopped Ja Moran. I think it was one of his worst games of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been killing it ever since. Uh, the Bucks are playing better than the Wizards. Uh, the last time they saw the Wizards, they were also missing a bunch of guys back then. Um, Brooklyn, of course, doesn't seem like they'll have KD, I don't think. Uh, so, uh, but still, they, you know, beat the Wizards pretty easily just the other day. Although that one will be on the road, right? It'll be mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. So, Will that one be in Brooklyn? Uh, that one, I believe, will be in Brooklyn. Yeah, so no, no Kyrie Irving, but James and James Harden played well. They got to figure out a way to stop Lamarcus Aldridge. Oh uh, no, that's played. actually it's, it's, correction. That's in DC. It's in DC. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So then Kyrie Irving will play in that game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say my guess is that they'll go uh, two and four, and there's probably going to be some blowout losses in there. But um, if you go two and four, then that that might be as, as best you can hope for at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's incredibly difficult. And starting with Memphis, in that game that they beat Memphis, they held John Moran to 11 points on four for 17 shooting and held the Grizzlies to 87 points in total. I don't see that happening again, um, Not especially with the way John's playing currently. And then Embiid, it's, it's going to be really tough. It really is going to be tough. Two and four. I think that's a very realistic take because there's always games where you wizards you you're like oh going into it they're they're odds the betting odds they're underdogs you're like I'd be surprised if they win and then they end up winning they have a they always have a couple games like that so I could see something like two and four definitely yeah and um what's uh your bold prediction for the trade deadline who do you see them targeting who bold prediction for the trade deadline um. Well, I think they're going to be talking to the Pistons about Jeremy Grant, and I think they're going to show some interest in DeMontis Sabonis with the Pacers. Um, can they pull off a trade like that? Um, I have to say I'm a, I am am a little skeptical. You know, uh, Tommy Shepard's talked a lot about not wanting to take shortcuts, mm-hmm. and, you know, the front office likes the path that they're building on. They feel like they're seeing um, – steady progress moving forward, even if it doesn't look like it at the moment, obviously. But, uh, you know, they're better now than they were a year ago and uh, at this point in the season. They have a better record than they did two years ago at this point in the season. So um, it's kind of a question of does it match up with Bradley Beal's timeline? Um, you know, some of the stuff he said lately makes me wonder 
if he's losing a little bit of patience with sort of the slow build that they're they're choosing to do. But I think to get one of those guys, um, they're probably going to have to give up, you know, Rui Hachimura, Denny Abdia, maybe both of them. Um, and I don't think they're going to want to do that. So my guess, and I don't know if this is a bold prediction, is maybe they do something more as a mid-level move. You know, maybe it's a bigger move than they did last year with Daniel Gafford, which at the time didn't seem like it was a major move, right? It ended up becoming one. Um, you know, maybe they go out and trade for like a Robert Covington. You know, maybe it's like um, um, Montrez Harrell for uh, Robert Covington, someone who can come in and like defend. Um, and I don't know if that's the right fit. I don't know if, you know, Montrez Harrell would be a great fit on the other end of that trade, but something like that, like someone who can help them defend, I think, at the forward position or at the point guard spot. Um, that's what I'm guessing that they're going to do because they need so much help defensively. And I, I just don't see them pulling off a big move. I think if they're going to do that, the timing might be better in the offseason when you go into the draft and, you know, you have your first round pick that you can trade on draft night because then it won't be uh, part of the, the uh, Stepien rule because you can't trade, you know, two consecutive future first round picks. Um, so right now they can't trade that draft pick. They'd have to go way in the future. I think to 2028 is like the next first round pick they could trade at the moment. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about doing that, um, do you want to give up a draft pick that far in the future? And will it, you know, like Detroit, for instance, um, you know, everyone says that the, 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 the consensus is that they, they want first round picks like multiple for Jeremy Grant. So it just doesn't seem like it's a great fit. And I just don't think that the wizards would be willing to give up enough to the Pacers for them to justify getting rid of Sabonis who like, they don't have to trade. He's still got several years left on his deal at a manageable contract. He's 25. He's a two-time All-Star. Um, I just don't think I don't see the fit on both sides at this point for a big deal like that. Yeah, I think I think they can uh, trade the 2025. I'm not mistaken if they take the protections off, but I think they just have to go big or go home. They can't do the Dorian Finney-Smith trade or you know trade for a mid-level guy. I think right now they just because if they want to you know prove to Bradley Bill and prove that they're Legit, legitimately trying to contend, I think they have to go for us a bonus and just go all in. They probably have to put a Denny or a Rui in there. It's either that or or they have to sell. Yeah. I, go ahead, Chase. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, you could remove the protections. Um, you know, uh, that's a risky move, though. You know, mm -hmm. you don't know what your team's going to look like in a few years. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. I think once that draft pick conveys – um and you know maybe if it's 2023 if the wizards like make the playoffs and then you know it's it's top top eight protected i think the best it can be is ninth um once that pick goes then you're going to have a lot more flexibility with your first round picks but right now they're tied up in the protections yeah and i would say also the Bradley Bill hasn't given the Wizards like 100% commitment to re-signing. I mean, the Wizards may have an idea of where he's headed and which way he's leaning. You also have to think about, you know, you talk about trading a guy like Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia, and Brad hasn't fully 100% given you a commitment to being in Washington. So that's also a potential risk as well. You never know. You, you never know what changes mentally, and he may decide – he wants to walk, and you done given up Denny. You gave up Rui Hachimura, and now your future is a little more shaky. You lost those young guys. But I, I think it's very interesting. I think the fans, as far as a fan aspect, they want to see Jeremy Grant. They want to see Sabonis. They want to see something that isn't your typical, you know, Daniel Gafford-level move. And I think if they do give – the fans that again they'll be upset so they should expect to hear some you know anger from them so that shouldn't be a shock unless they're planning on like in the off season expecting somebody to be available then sure but i want to see them get somebody too man sabonis or jeremy grant i want to see a bigger move personally me personally i would mm -hmm. love to see a bigger move yeah i think yeah i think right now it's just it's either go big or go home but you know, typically, yeah, they they do make the mid-level moves. So I, I think right now it's just go big or go home. Yeah, definitely. Um, That is all we have, guys. Chase, I want to thank you for coming and joining us once again. Is there anything you want to shout out? 
Uh, shout out. Um, no, man. Shout out to you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I love the uh, the Washington football hat that Ed has on. We'll see uh, what the name is on yeah, 2022. Um, what do you guys think it's going to be? Well, Deontay, he couldn't care less. Yeah, I mean, cause I, I mean, because I am going to be hearing the name a lot. I am in the area. So Commanders is pretty weak, in my opinion. Yeah, I would hate yeah. for it to be Commanders. I was a big Red Wolves guy, yeah. personally, but we know that's Me not too. happening. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. Wasn't there another name that was speculated? Um, um, like Admirals, Red Hogs. Yeah, Red Hogs. I would say maybe Red Hogs. Anything yeah. other than Commanders. Yeah. The leak right now I've seen circulating on social media is the leak and the source, and then they had the IRL or something, the, the domain. I don't know if you saw that today, Chase, circulating. Yeah. Around is commanders but that's what know, i expect it to be yeah me too yeah Hel- i think commanders. i'd like red hogs better i think but mm-hmm. commanders that you know i could talk myself into it whatever yeah, yeah it's like commanders is it's, it's yeah, so hell, hell to the <laughs> it <laughs> like red red hogs has more i just feel like it has more pizzazz i like red hogs hearing red hogs but once again, guys, I want to thank you for making Locked On, which is your first listen each and every day. Now for your next listen, Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Once again, Chase, thank you so much for coming in. I know a lot of the fans value what you have to say, and they'll be waiting for this episode to hear because it's crazy and was his nation. But that is all we have for you guys today. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, five stars on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you guys next time. Yep. Thanks, Chase. Hell to the Wizards. Peace. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 